This podcast of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs is sponsored by AAA Heating and Air. The premier HVAC company in the Midlands is growing. Are you a top HVAC technician? AAA Heating and Air is looking for dedicated applicants to fill their fast-growing service department with top-notch HVAC technicians. If you're the best, then they want you. If you're ready to stop working and start a career, you can earn up to $100,000 a year at AAA Heating and Air. Quality candidates will have at least two years' experience and a good driving record. Benefits include top industry salaries, commission on service and unit sales, set call limits, company-provided take-home vehicle and gas card, company-provided cell phone and tablet, health, dental, and vision benefits, 401k retirement plan with company match and scaled PTO based on length of service. Contact Roy and Dana Finley at 803-677-1500 or check out their job postings on Facebook or ZipRecruiter. Triple A air when you need us. Triple A heating and air. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, founded by Firemen with Chris Clark. The 2007 South Carolina class was at that time, sixth in the country and fourth in the SEC, which is amazing. West Mitchell. You know, I think if you're South Carolina, you're you're aiming to, to at least be at 50%. Then in theory, you're adding talent, you're getting better, you're putting yourself in a position to compete. And Tyler Head. It's been a great week for South Carolina. On the recruiting front, still certainly plenty to talk about. On the home of the Gamecocks. 107.5. The Game. And welcome into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Here on 107.5 The Game, Tyler Head and Wes Mitchell along with you, Chris Clark, out in Dallas for the Women's Final Four as South Carolina gets set to take on Iowa coming up tonight at about 9.30. Have for you here on 107.5 The Game. Chris Wellbaum going to join us shortly to discuss that game a little bit more. Plenty of Gamecock stuff to talk about, but Wes, you were sitting in the studio as I was wrapping up the extra point. So I got to ask you... On a scale of 1 to 10, how good of an idea do you think it is to hop on the field at a baseball game to try and propose, knowing you're going to get tackled by security? Let, let me just um, take it one step further. Unless you met the girl at the stadium, right? or unless going to ball games is like y'all's thing. I, I perfectly under... So, like, me and my wife, like, she actually truly does love sports okay to the same level i do um so we actually go to a ton of games together of of various sports yeah so i I get it but even that being said i would have never dreamed of being ask your person to marry you on the big board at the game guy right so i'll I'll take it a step further than just on the field the one to ten Negative four hundred and thirty-five is yeah. like the the highest rating I will go for whether or not you should propose in a stadium unless you just have some connection to that stadium or team. And looking at the video, awful I can't, idea. I can't even tell what girl he's proposing to because there's so many people in the video, you know, pulling out their phones and stuff like that. Assuming that she says yes, assuming he got to say everything he was going to say, and so and so, will you marry me, and all that stuff. She says yes, he gets tackled and taken away, and now you're this girl here who's just gotten engaged, and now you got to go fish your fiancé out of the security prison under the stadium or something? Yeah, not a good omen for the future, I feel like. Your first act as fiancé is getting your guy out of jail, essentially. 
Not 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 a hit almond. Well, as I said, if they are engaged now, assuming she said yes, I wish them nothing but the best. But um, she should be questioning his decision making ability already. Yeah, I uh, I I would I would ask a few more questions if uh, I were her. Speaking of baseball, Gamecock baseball in action last night, taking on Mississippi State, and it was not an easy one. They had to gut it out, picking up the six to four win. But for the first time in program history, Gamecocks baseball seven and zero to start conference play. Yeah, I mean, Tyler, I thought last night was just another example of what this team has been all year. You kind of have a mix of um, some pretty good pitching for the most part. Uh, I know Hicks didn't seem to kind of be himself. Uh, That was a little bit uh, different from what we've seen out of him. But for the most part, pitched well. You um, had runs from the home run ball. You had runs, um, you know, where you're kind of manufacturing or, or hitting doubles. You had new guys kind of stepping up. I, I think a lot of fans have kind of wanted to see Braswell get a shot, mm-hmm. and he once again, I, I thought, played pretty well. I maintain if you can play shortstop at that level, then you can play second base. So I, I think, you know, getting him in there makes a lot of sense as they've gotten, you know, some some injuries kind of piling up a little bit. You know, and I, I think obviously Eli Jones, for a guy being asked to go on the road and be a starter in the SEC for the first time in his career, I, I thought the moment was not too big for him. Mississippi State may be 0 for an SEC play, but that's still a big-time ballpark. Sure. Pretty big-time atmosphere. It's a crazy atmosphere when they're really going. But, yeah, you're nev- I, I don't care if you're 0 for, I don't care how many SEC games you've lost in a row. It's never, ever easy. Like, people think that's maybe a cliche or that's just something people say. Winning on the road in the SEC will never be easy. Carolina got some clutch hits. Um, kind of dot, kind of jumped some hurdles with some questionable calls as well. Had some issues there in the night that they had to kind of wiggle off there. But all in all, I mean... If if you have anything negative to say about a seven and zero start, sure, I feel like you're really nitpicking. Um, but the the big, it, it kind of stinks that maybe the biggest takeaway from the game yesterday, other than the big picture, you know, seven and zero in the SEC, is this call mm-hmm. on um, Garnet Trust our alum Gavin Casas. I I don't know, man. If you really, so here's the thing. If you really slow that thing down, like to the very frame by frame, you can see that his elbow does go up. Yeah. However, that just felt to me like somebody I don't I don't know who's sitting in the studio back in Birmingham, right, doing the replay calls. And I am thankful that they are there to be sure. honest because sure. this whole go to an iPad for 5 minutes to correct a call, yeah, we're trying or, to speed games up here. or to screw up a call in this case. That whole thing's silly. But it just felt to me like someone was making this call who had never actually stood in a box and had to hit a fastball. Right. Because if if a ball's coming high and tight at you, I think it showed 95 on yeah. the gun, you have no time to really be thinking about how you're going to react. Right. And, you know, I could see if he stuck the elbow out over the strike zone and, like, really, truly, purposely got into the way of the ball. I get it. But, dude, this pitcher had been hitting everyone already anyway. You sure. don't give a pitcher the benefit of the doubt right. when he's been making 
hitters dodge his pitches for the entire inning. And, and I think back to when I was in high school and they taught us, like, hey, if the ball's coming at you high and tight, they told us to literally turn our backs into it and get hit by it. That's egregious. That's something that I could understand. Like, okay, you aren't actively trying to get out of the way of the pitch. Sure, that's a violation there. But, yeah, in, in, and like you said, when you slow something down enough and you're talking about these microscopic little movements, sure, you can make anything look how you want it to. And, you know, we're talking about something that happened over the course of, like, two seconds. So I, I think it was a really bad call. Um, again, you got somebody back in Birmingham that's not watching this game, that's only seeing the actual, like, they literally, like in the NFL, they just send them this one situation say hey what do you think happened here they say oh it looks like he you know leaned into it wanted to get hit by the ball <laughs> and that's what the ruling ends up being but um you know there's always the human element of baseball and that's what came to fruition last night yeah and i think that's actually a great point even though i had you know mentioned it somebody back in birmingham it didn't really process for me that this guy maybe doesn't know that this kid has been throwing the ball all over the place for right. the entire inning I'm sitting there like, if my man can throw lefty as they said he could, sure. maybe it's time to try the other side because, I mean, super wild. And you, you really let him off the hook and rewarded a pitcher who was not around the zone at all. You're about to have bases loaded with one of your best hitters coming up. Mm -hmm. And it just, to me, I, I fully understand why that rule is in place, but that call did not go along with sort of the spirit of that role at all, in my opinion. Sure. And, and I'll even say this. If Casas can process a 95-miles-an-hour fastball and be able to somehow turn away from it when it is riding up towards his face yep. and actually purposely get his elbow guard to that ball, then so be it. If you can do that, then I've, I think you should still be rewarded first base because... I mean, that is freaking impressive in its own right that you could have the hand-eye coordination to make that happen. But very clearly, he's turning away from the ball. He's protecting himself. And this was not... We, it looks pretty obvious, even if you can't put it into words necessarily. To me, when there's an inside pitch and a guy just purposely um, sort of raises his arm up and... It's almost in a lot of those cases, Tyler. It's almost a strike. Yeah, and guys sort of just use that that guard to take a hit. Sure. It's pretty obvious to the naked eye. Yeah. Oh, he took that one on purpose. Right. Stay in the box. When you have to have this frame by frame, just zoomed in <laughs> replay to figure it out, then very clearly something is wrong here. But I, I think you know what we're probably preaching to the choir right now. I think almost everybody listening probably is in agreement that that was an awful call. Now, umpiring, uh, maybe not being 100% correct, did actually benefit South Carolina later in the game when Messina could have been called out on a third strike, did not, much to the displeasure of the fans in attendance. Gets an extra pitch, ends up taking it yard for two more runs. That ended up being the deciding factor in this game. So it can kind of go both ways. Well, um, I didn't see that one, Tyler. I don't know what you're talking about. But <laughs> right, no, right. I... Uh, it is kind of it's kind of funny when you're when you're zero and six now zero and seven. Doesn't it seem like because we've all followed a baseball team? I'm sure. I mean, it was Carolina at times last year. Yep. Where just everything you feel like everything is going against you. Sure. And 
doesn't it feel like when you have a close call like that go against you, then of co- of course, dude's going yard. Yeah, the next pitch. So seems to work out that way sometimes. That's just kind of the way it goes. But I, I thought, man, some really clutch at bats from Carolina. Um, Petri goes yard again. Messina goes yard. You know, I I really wish, I wish we could get Messina mic'd up. Mm-hmm. Because my man is constantly chattering. He is intense. And I, I want to know, sometimes he's talking to the umpire. That, it looked like that last night. And I'm like, like, what is he say? I wouldn't chirp at him. But I, I didn't, like, you kind of want to, the umpire didn't really react. So sure. I don't think it was, I don't guess it was anything over the top. But, but, but it's kind of, I don't know, maybe it was a thank you after the... Well, no. and you're not you're not supposed to chirp at the other team's dugouts or directly at the other team's players. So you do got to be a little bit careful at that. But I don't know. Maybe it was just a general acknowledgement of what he had just done with that home run. But it certainly looked like he was yelling at the umpire. Yeah, that that was again. I I want I want to hear him mic'd up. That would be hey Gamecock Plus. I know y'all mic people up quite a bit. Special request. There you go. Hey, if they can do it for a regular season baseball game like they did last night with the Astros and the White Sox, why not for college baseball? Yeah, another note as far as similar vein there. How about Chris Veach with the straight-up Vince McMahon oh, um, yeah. walk off of the, the dugout there after a strikeout? That hey, was, um, hey, it's WrestleMania weekend. There, there, was some, there was some swag, I guess. And, you know, this, this team plays very confidently, right. I feel like. And... They should. I mean, they've only lost two games this year. They've been fun to watch. You want to really go ahead. You, you, it sets up so well for you now. You have Noah sure. Hall, who has, I think, been your best pitcher. I think most people say he's been your best starter for sure. He's going tonight. Mississippi State's got to be a little bit down. Go ahead, win this series tonight, and put yourself in a position for the sweep. Tonight's game, first pitch coming at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage can be heard starting at 6.45 that's going to be on our sister station, ESPN 1320 WISW, because we're going to have coverage of the women's Final Four as they take on Iowa. Game starting tonight at about 9.30. Pre-game coverage will begin right here on 107.5. The game starting at 9 o'clock. Speaking of that game, we're going to talk to Chris Wellbaum of Gamecock Central coming up next, breaking down that matchup right here on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on 107.5 The Game. Broadcasting live from the Herndon Chevrolet Studios, this is 107.5 The Game. Discover Herndon Certified, Herndon Chevrolet's premier used car warranty. Shop with complete confidence knowing Herndon Chevrolet has got you covered. Stop by or shop online today and see why Herndon Chevrolet makes you smile. It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler and Wes along with you this morning. Joining us now from Gamecock Central out in Dallas is Chris Wellbaum as he gets set to cover the women's Final Four South Carolina taking on Iowa tonight. Tip off about 9.30. Uh, Chris, I don't know how long you've been covering this South Carolina women's team, but uh, can you ever remember a game with as much hype as this one has going into it? No. <laughs> That's the short answer. There have been some big ones, games against UConn, uh, the LSU game, but I think this, more than any game, 
in the 15 years I've been covering them has it has all the ingredients. It has two transcendent players. It has uh, a contrast in styles. You have the number one offense versus the number one defense, and then you have uh, this. Just what's at stake? It's the national semifinals. There's only one more game, and somebody's going home. Chris, I hope everything's going smooth in Dallas, man. Um, I'll ask the question on everyone's mind. Um, How do you believe South Carolina attempts to guard Caitlin Clark in terms of both style and just matchup as well? Is this this Bree Bill's night, or do you think it's going to be just a combination? I know you wrote about it. Is it going to be a combination of South Carolina throwing as many looks at Caitlin Clark as possible? It's, I don't want to sound like I'm dodging the question, but it's going to be a mixture. Um, Iowa uses a lot of screens for, for the one thing, and South Carolina is going to switch on those screens. So everybody's going to get switched on to Caitlin Clark at some point. Um, and one of the things that makes the South Carolina defense so tough is that they welcome that. If, if, you, want to, uh, if you want to switch, they'll switch, and they'll stay with it. So everybody's going to see Clark. But, but yeah, the, the primary defender is going to be Bree Beal, and, and then they'll change that up with, just like they did Diamond Miller, they'll change it up with some smaller defenders, some, some longer defenders. But uh, I think they were, uh, the players were told not to give too much away, but Bree Beal was telling everybody, yeah, I got this. Yeah, and the players obviously, and Don Staley herself, it seems like they didn't really hype this up as like South Carolina versus National Player of the Year, Caitlin Clark. And, you know, I think they kind of steered away from making it seem personal at all. But um, so I watched Caitlin Clark the entire game on, I guess that would have been Sunday. I mean, everybody knows her ability to just stretch the floor and shoot from all these different lengths is impressive. But, she also, it felt like against other teams, is able to get her shot off with some room. Um, I feel like, Chris, this isn't really a question. I'm just going to throw this at you and let you respond to it. <laughs> but it's going to be so intriguing to me to kind of see, is she able to still get that room that she gets against other teams, against a team as talented and as lengthy as South Carolina? And then the other side of that will be, if she doesn't, can she still make shots the way she's showed that she can with such tight coverage on her? Yeah, it, it's there, when you play South Carolina, there's not much space. Um, and part of that's how aggressively they defend, and part of that's just size. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at South Carolina's lineup, and uh, they, they start three players bigger than the biggest player on Iowa's team. And then that's before they bring in all the big players off the bench. So just from a physical standpoint, there's not much room against South Carolina. Um, when you go, if you go back and look at the uh, first Kentucky game, the one where Kentucky had a like a 16-0 run and they led by 10 early. When when they when Kentucky was able to do that, it was because as soon as they came around the screen, they shot. You can't. You can't take time to make a decision against South Carolina. You've got to shoot. Will Caitlin Clark be able to do that? I don't know. And then the flip side is we're everyone's talking about the Iowa offense versus the South Carolina defense, and for good reason. 
but Iowa's got to guard South Carolina too. And you can be certain that whoever Caitlin Clark guards, and Iowa, Iowa will probably try to hide her just to you know, let her catch her breath on that end of the court. But whoever she guards, South Carolina is going to use that player a lot. They're going to go after her and make her work. And if they can wear her down or get her in foul trouble through playing defense, then that just makes guarding her even easier. That's a good point you made. You know, the entire hype around this game for the past few days has been number one offense versus number one defense, but I feel like nobody's talking about Iowa's defense or lack thereof. They give up a ton of points. They're among ranked among one of the worst nationally, and, you know, South Carolina may not have the flashiest offense, but if you have a defense that they can walk through pretty easily, they're going to score a ton of points themselves. Yeah, so, like you said, South Carolina's offense isn't the flashiest, but it's pretty much top 10, top 20 in every important category, whereas Iowa's defense is sub-100 and and a, even sub-300 in scoring defense. So that's prob- that's for Iowa, that's the big challenge, is how do we slow down the, the South Carolina? Because they don't, they don't do that well. Can, can Iowa's bigs... Um... Do they have any chance of matching up with South Carolina's bigs? Like, I think, you know, Caitlin Clark is obviously the, f- the flashy player, and that's the headline, and, and rightfully so. If I was running ESPN, that's what I'd probably be focused on, too, is Caitlin Clark versus Aaliyah Boston, even though they're completely different players with different skill sets, different positions. Um, you know, Caitlin Clark could have a transcendent performance and score 50 points, and... Iowa still lose the game. I, I feel like, like, can, do you see a scenario where Iowa's bigs can match both size and athleticism with what South Carolina is just going to constantly throw at them throughout the course of this game? No, I think that's I think that's the big uh, weak spot for Iowa. Not maybe not maybe that's the wrong phrase, but you know, I, Iowa's second best player is Monica Zanano, the center. But she's, I, I don't have her height in front of me. She's only like 6'2". Mm-hmm. So she's giving up significant size to South Carolina. And she's not as strong or athletic as Boston or Cardoso. And so I, I talked to Camilla yesterday. And I said, are you guys going to go at Zanano and try to get her in foul trouble? And she goes, we're just going to play our game. And I said, well, are you going to play a lot of two posts? to try to get her in foul trouble and says we're just going to play our game. So they are they are very confident that they can uh that they can handle and limit Zanano just by doing what they've done all year. Uh you mentioned Cardoso right there and one thing that everybody knows about the South Carolina team is the depth that they have coming off of the bench whether it be Cardoso, Hall, Raven, Johnson, uh who's going to be the key factor coming off the bench for the Gamecocks tonight? Probably Cardoso, just in terms of of what we just talked about, that she she's the one that can really create matchup problems. If if because if not only do you have to guard her, but typically with post, typically most teams have one post player, and you might try to hide her by having her guard Victoria Saxton instead of Boston. But when you put Cardoso and Boston in at the same time, you can't hide that player anymore. She's got to defend. One of those, one, and that's how opposing players get in foul trouble. But if it's 
aside from Cardoso, which is sort of the obvious pick, I would say look for Raven Johnson to get, uh, possibly get a lot of time on Caitlin Clark because Raven likes to play full court. She mm-hmm. likes picking up the opposing point guard in the backcourt. She's gotten I don't know how many steals off of lazy inbounds passes this year just because opponents aren't expecting uh, her to be back there. So if she can she can come in and pick Caitlin Clark up full court, make her work just to get the ball over half court and not have a chance for those logo threes, that would be a big help. Again, we're joined by Chris Wellbaum. He's live out in Dallas. Women's Final Four, uh, 9 o'clock, 9-something tonight, South Carolina, Iowa. Uh, Chris, I want to show Cardoso a little bit more love before we move on. Um, I mean, to me, and you watch this team way, way, way more than I have, but um, I think she's been the X factor this year and the difference in maybe winning another title but maybe a loss here or there versus potentially, you know, going undefeated. But is... Is Dawn Staley just playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers? Like, bringing her off the bench. I I felt like in the third quarter against Maryland, um, it was kind of like, all right, I'm I'm bringing in my... It's not a secret weapon at this point, but I, I just felt like, all right, this is Cardoso time. And she was well-rested, whereas Maryland had been fighting for their lives for the entire two-and-a-half quarters. And Cardoso almost just made it look easy at that point. Um, but what what do you think it's meant to have someone as talented as she is? I mean, it's almost comical that she's able to come off the bench fresh. And it's almost to me like they save that sort of uh, two post with Boston and Cardoso for either maybe if they get in trouble or if they want to just kind of put the opponent away in the second half. Yeah, it's it's definitely demoralizing for opponents when you think you've weathered the storm and then Cardoso and Raven Johnson, the walk six seven and then the former national high school player of the year go check in. But it's it, it's I think it's about culture. It's it, and it's something that Dawn had to. It it wasn't there from the beginning. She had to develop it, but. When players come to South Carolina now, they understand because Dawn communicates very clearly to them. They understand, I might not play. I might not play for two years, but this is what my role will be. And this is what will happen every game. And it was, if you go back to the mass exodus in, uh, after 2019, um, one of the things that when that uh, Dawn changed with the program was she realized that she wasn't letting players know what was expected of them enough mm-hmm. that she needed to tell them be, be a better communicator with what she was expecting of them. And so she really has made an effort. Like she doesn't, and she's talked about it. She's lost some recruits because she won't promise things that she can't deliver. You know, a lot of recruits are told, you'll start from day one. And, and she's in there saying, you're probably not going to play much your freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I talked to Talasia Cooper yesterday. And uh, and she was telling me about how important this Final Four is to her, even though she 
probably is not going to play because they expect to get back in her next three seasons. And she now knows what the Final Four is like so she can be prepared and be a leader when they get back. So it's, it's, it's all about the culture of having someone like Cardoso and saying you're not going to start, but you're going to come off the bench and you're going to be one of our most important players. Or Bree Hall, who's been just huge in this postseason. You might only play 12 minutes, but this is your, you can hit this elbow three. Go stand there. They're not going to guard you. And she's knocked down something like uh, 50% of her threes mm-hmm. just by doing that. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy the weekend out there in Dallas, and hopefully next week we can talk to you about another national championship for this Gamecock women's program. Sure. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Chris Wellbaum of Gamecock Central out there covering the women's Final Four again, tip-off tonight. Coming around 8.30, we'll have pregame coverage for you starting at 9 o'clock right here on 107.5 The Game. We'll be right back. The Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head. On your home of the Gamecocks. 107.5 The Game. And welcome back into the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Here on 107.5 The Game. Tyler and Wes along with you on this Friday. Speaking of Firehouse Subs. Always got to let people know what the sub of the day waiting for them today is. Yeah, Firehouse Subs has a daily medium sub every single day of the week, seven ninety nine for a medium. And Friday is the Jamaican Jerk Turkey. And it just hit me, Tyler. We never let the people know about Saturday and Sunday subs because we're not in here. So mm. um, little heads up. Actually, two of their best subs, in my opinion. Club on a sub, low-key, one of my favorites. That's Saturday. And then the Italian, which is actually one of Chris Clark's favorites, is on Sunday as well. So Jamaican jerk turkey today, club on a sub Saturday, Italian on Sunday, and the best way to do it absolutely is either with that Firehouse Subs app or go to firehousesubs.com, Rapid Rescue. If you are in the Midlands, chances are there's a Firehouse Subs near you. So throw it in the app. It'll show you the closest one. Go pick it up. Your sub and your chips will be right there in the bag. So you guys got to take a little peek at practice yesterday morning. I believe that was practice number, I guess, eight mm-hmm. of the spring so far. We heard for some more assistance yesterday. Lonnie Teasley, Jimmy Lindsley, and Jody Wright as they spoke to the media. Pulled some audio from them. This is a Jody Wright working with the tight ends, just kind of giving his overall thoughts on what he's seen out of his now full tight end room that they basically had to completely overhaul and replace at the end of last season. I think the first thing you see with uh, with Trey Knox, you know, he he's a definitely a guy that is a big guy that was signed as a receiver at Arkansas, and and you see the size and the length. Um, he's a very good athlete, you know, and you see, you know, he can run um, really good speed down the middle on a big target. Josh Simon, the same thing, you know. I think uh, really good athlete. The thing I've been impressed with both of them, they're willing to do whatever. You know, long route, short routes, blocking, whatever's asked to do, whatever they're asked to do in the offense, which kind of talks about their unselfishness. Um, but both of them are really, uh, really excited. Nick Elsness, um, tight end. We also got uh, Florida transfer. He's done really well. Also excited about him. And um, 
you know, Connor Cox and Reed McKiska, two of our mid-year enrollee signees, have, you know, had a really good, to me, they're ahead of where you would think a high school kid would be this time, which is exciting. I think both of them got really bright futures, working really hard. Um, and then, you know, we got, talking about bodies, we got two really good quality um, walk-ons and Maurice Brown and Lucas uh, Vocus that's, that's done a really good job also. And again, that was uh, Jody Wright talking about the tight end room, which again is completely new compared to last year as you uh, had so many guys either leave the program or lose their eligibility uh, at season's end. And he talked about all the guys that came in and uh, the first two we talked about were Trey Knox and Joshua Simon. And I, I remember reading a um, projected depth chart for you a couple of weeks ago on GamecockCentral.com. And you had these two guys as your more hybrid kind of tight ends, guys that are going to be really relied on catching the ball. And uh, he seems to be pretty impressed with them so far. Yeah, I think matches, uh, you know, a lot of things we've heard behind the scenes, Tyler, and have written about is that they're actually really excited and happy with this tight end room. And, you know, it's a bunch of new guys. I think Jody even mentioned he'd love to have Nate Atkins back. Uh, you know, I, I think he brought so much to that room in just a short period of time. They'd love to have him back, but I think as far as the guys they brought in, they are either kind of happy that they're as advertised or in some cases they've maybe been even a little bit better, a little bit quicker than they expected them to be. And, you know, I, I think with Trey Knox and Joshua Simon – They'll probably be the two guys at the end of the year that will have played the most snaps as tight ends. I think Elksness, though, will play a lot too, maybe more as your block-first type tight end. But the thing they like about both Knox and Simon is that even though they're probably receivers first, they have shown, you know, Jody talked about it at the end, they've shown a willingness to do whatever is asked of them. And if you're as big as those guys are, Sometimes just being willing to block right. is the barrier between being a successful blocker and not. And so I think that gets them reps. I mean, remember last year, all this sort of controversy among the fan base about Jaheim Bell, how many snaps was he playing, how many snaps was he not playing. Remember Satterfield saying, like, look, he we, we basically throw it every time he's on the field because – he was not doing what was asked of him in the blocking game. So right. I, I think this makes the opportunity for both Knox and Simon to play a ton of snaps. Uh, you know, I think that possibility goes up a ton. And we obviously know Dal Loggins coming from Arkansas as a tight end coach there. Trey Knox coming with him. Tight ends are going to be something that's very high on his mind. We've heard Knox talk about it in his media availability. He's been very pleased with how he sees the tight ends being featured in this new offense. Yeah, and I, I think... You maybe would have looked at it on paper and said, man, they lost a lot of tight ends. Maybe it's not going to be a focus on the offense. But I, I really, especially those two guys, like I, I think they're going to catch a bunch of passes this year. We still don't know exactly what running back is going to look like. So does that mean the offense gets skewed a little bit more towards the pass game? If so, you know Juice Wells is going to be the top receiver. But after him, I mean... Is there a scenario where Trey Knox is potentially your second leading receiver in this offense? You know, I, I think some other guys would have have some say in that, but it's not that far-fetched of a thought. I want to play one more clip here. This one from Jimmy Lindsley talking about the defensive line, specifically about Boogie Huntley, another alumni from the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, and uh, what is going to be expected to him this season and what he's seen from him this spring. 
the main thing from Boogie has been has been obviously the leadership within the room, um, keeping the group together. As far as when they get together outside of our meetings, um, he he knows this system. This is his third going into his third year in the system. Um, just that constant leadership and his willingness to continue to improve on the little things every day. And again, that's talking about Boogie Huntley at the defensive tackle position. He mentioned they're going into his third season. He's been around this program for a while, looked at as a leader and somebody that I think is going to be uh, expected to be a big contributor this fall. Yeah, man, Boogie has done everything asked of him for pretty much the entire time he's been at South Carolina. And, um, you know, technically, I think actually Boogie's fourth year here, which is hard to believe, third year in this system. And he's a team leader. I I think you saw... The thing about leadership is you can kind of be a behind-the-scenes leader. A lot of times in a different in a particular room, there's maybe only one guy that's like the alpha of the room. And then when that guy leaves, in this case, I think I would say it was probably Zach Pickens. Like, he was the guy in the room last year. But you're kind of waiting your turn to be the voice in the room. Like, you can still be a leader. Jimmy talked about how... Uh, Boogie wasn't even on the road with the team because he was hurt, and he's still texting the group text like, hey, guys, um, you know, sort of motivating them, Kentucky game last year. Sure. And with Boogie, I think with Zach leaving now, going on to the NFL, it opens up that opportunity for him to be the voice in the room. Super smart dude, uh, just carries himself in such a mature way, very mature beyond his years. And I I think you start talking about having him in the room, having someone like Tonka, who maybe isn't the loudest, most rah-rah guy. He's more of, I I think, a lead-by-example type guy. But you want for your older players to set that example, whether they're talking a lot or not talking a lot. So I think you have that. And it's, I mean, this D-line group, you have such a good mix of older guys who have played, sort of middle guys who have played some but are taking on bigger roles. I would look at T.J. Sanders. Nick Barrett, as far as that, and then newbies and young guys, and you know I think Zay McLeod has had a great start to his career. You have, um, you know, Elijah Davis who comes in from JUCO, who is a newbie but is a little bit older than some of the other guys. So there, there's a nice mix, a nice fit in that room. But certainly Boogie, local guy, I know everybody in Columbia is pulling for him as well because he's just such a good dude. Yeah, and we heard that when he was on with us a couple weeks back, just how. Nice and personal he is, and certainly excited to see what he's going to be able to do this fall. We're just a little over two weeks away from the spring game. That'll be two weeks from tomorrow, coming up on April the 15th at uh, 7 o'clock. So excited to see how spring practice continues to roll on and see the culmination of it. We'll come back after this break and talk a little bit of Braves baseball as they opened up the season yesterday with a victory over the Nationals. You're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler and Wes with you on 107.5 The Game. Kyle. Presented by Firehouse Subs. Founded by Firemen with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks. 1075 The Game. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. And welcome back into the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs, Tyler and Wes. Along with you on this Friday, gonna talk a little bit of Braves baseball, but first, Wes, gotta tell them about our friends over at Amy Mason Cup State Farm. Yeah, that's right. All across the country, drivers are reaping the rewards of safer driving with the updated Drive Safe and Save app from State Farm. 
It has dynamic new features, interactive maps, driving tips, and the pursuit of your discount is even easier now. You can save up to 30%. Tyler, all you got to do is give our friend Amy Mason Cup a call, 803-772-5554. You can go to her website, amymasoncup.com. That's Amy Mason, M-A-S-I-N, cup, C-U-P-P.com. Her office is right off of I-26 at St. Andrews Road in Ashland Park Plaza. That's 612 St. Andrews Road, Suite 4, Columbia. Again, 803-772-5554. Give Amy Mason Cup a call today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm and Amy Mason Cup are there. The 2 bitch. Swung on, and that's clocked out towards the gap in left center field. That'll roll all the way to the wall. Hilliard scores. Here comes Michael Harris, and a huge day for Travis Darno. Two more runs driven in on his fourth hit of the ball game, and it's 6-2 to two Atlanta in the ninth. It's Ben Ingram on the call for the Braves Radio Network yesterday as Travis Darno got his fourth hit of the game in the top of the ninth, driving in two runs as the Braves would go on to win that game 7-2, to two over the Washington Nationals, and uh, there's a concern that happened yesterday we'll get to in a moment. From an offensive standpoint, you feel pretty good about what you saw yesterday from this Braves lineup. Yeah, it was solid. It was as expected. I think they let them off the hook a little bit at times. Um, Patrick Corbin has been pretty awful against the Braves over the years. He once again did not go deep into the game. Uh, Neither did uh, did Max Fried, though, and I, I think that obviously is concerning a bit, but uh, my lookalike, my um, claimed cousin, Travis Tarno. Which now that you've mentioned that, I can't unsee it any time I look at him. Coming up with four hits to start the year. I mean, my man is a little bit motivated by them bringing in Sean Murphy, clearly. I was going to And lo- love the DH role, apparently. Yeah, and that was something that was interesting to me when they brought in Murphy in the offseasons. Okay, how this is, how is this going to go? And um, Murphy got the start at catcher yesterday, and they moved Tar- Darno to the... DH position, and you know, it sounds like it's going to be kind of a trade off back and forth between them. Um, I know um, Murphy's going to get the majority of the starts to catcher, but when he doesn't, uh, he's going to probably move to that DH position as well. And through one game, worked out pretty well for Darno. Yeah, it did. I, I think those sort of mix and match, um, depending on the matchup, depending on how tired a guy maybe is, how many games you've had in a row, you'll have. Murphy DH and sometimes you'll have Darno DH and sometimes you'll have Azuna DH and sometimes you know I would think I don't know maybe Murphy catches two out of every three or three out of every four but I think it sets you up really to keep those guys incredibly fresh throughout the year because your catchers can get worn down Absolutely. and then you know I think Rosario will play a ton in left field um, but Azuna it, it's it's kind of funny to me they it said Azuna's like worked on his arm mm-hmm. this offseason and I'm like, how old are you, dude? Like, how much better can you get? But no, nobody, nobody stopped to think. Maybe you should work on your arm. A pre, like, what magical formula did you come up with this off season that you right. were not doing prior off seasons with world class sure. trainers and coaches around you? Right. Um, so I, I kind of, I don't know. I took that with a little grain of salt, but. Dave O'Brien, who I think does a fantastic job covering the Braves, he's my top beat writer I follow from The Athletic. He said he looks noticeably stronger armed when mm-hmm. he's throwing in from the outfield. So we'll see. But they, you know what? This lineup, man, it's it's good. And I've come around to Arcia at shortstop. I think it's a decent stopgap. It, it's, a, it's a short-term thing. Uh, when Grissom's ready, they'll bring him back up. And 
hopefully he pans out to be what the organization wants him to be. Or, or, or if Braden Shoemake. That's also a possibility. Is ready. I think. If, hey, if Shoemake hits at all in AAA, I. It, He's got a chance to be the guy because he's a better natural defender say that's, than Grissom. That's the funny thing. Grissom's the better hitter. Shoe makes the better defender. If we could combine them into one guy, we'd have a great player. Well, if you could give um, Azuna RC his arm, um, he'd probably be a pretty good left fielder too. But I, I, I don't know. I love Grissom's bat-to-ball skills. That's the thing everybody always talks about with him. But Shoemake is apparently... Very good defensively. I've never seen the guy play, yep. so I, I can't. I couldn't tell you. But everything I read, he's great defensively. Never seen him play at that level. I should right. say. I actually saw him on TV in, in college. But um, we'll see, man. I think that's going to be an interesting little battle there as the season goes on. Who is the everyday shortstop? The other weird thing about the game yesterday: how bad was the sun? Like these are major yeah. league baseball that players. That's a big problem. Having little league pop up. Issues. Yeah. Um, gosh, how many things did what Abrams at shortstop for the Nationals? How many things did he miss? Oh, poor guy started his season with three errors, Jeez. which it's going to take you fifty games to even that out. Right. Yeah. Definitely a rough day for him. Quickly on Max Freed, he uh, tweaked his hamstring covering first base in the fourth inning. I mean, he walked off without limping or anything like that. I don't think this is anything too serious. He's going to miss his next start which would have been Wednesday at St. Louis but you know I feel like that's more precautionary than anything else I don't think this is too big of a concern going forward yeah he'll be fine man if you if you grimace and you're a pitcher yeah if you just have a look on your face they're gonna come out there and get out of the game they, they pull you especially game one I, I think maybe not that it was 30 degrees but it was definitely a good bit colder than it had been the whether they had played in all spring training down in Florida sure it was pretty cold up there I think Maybe that had something to do with it. But that, that's got to be so annoying to have a huge spring training, pitch great, and then you're out of the game, what, fourth inning? Yeah. Tough. Yeah, but he should be back in the lineup soon, and uh, don't think it's too big of a concern. Going forward, that'll wrap it up for today's edition of the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. Presented by Firehouse Subs, Tyler and Wes along with you. Halftime show with Jay and Terry coming up next here on 107.5 The Game.